0: All you hedge fund babies! Give us some money.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: this week we're we're, we're kind of doing something quite timely. We're only like nine months behind the actual trend of talking about COVID. Um, so we're kind of doing a little episode about arts funding, of which we we, we of course <laughs> accept none. Um, nobody nobody as cool as us
2: arrives at a party on time. Okay, so everybody's been talking about COVID for six months. We're just about
0: on schedule, given how effortlessly cool we are. <laughs> <laughs> Look out for the MySpace update coming later on this year. Um, so, yeah, just to hey, ask for on, this every do, week. Hang <laughs> on. Do you hear that f- that feminine laugh? That wasn't David. Funnily enough, it was not David. <laughs> We're
2: joined by a special guest this week. Our, uh, sometimes heckler, sometimes <laughs> contributor. <laughs> Vicky Henry. Vicky, hi.
1: Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> hi, you've been on the receiving end of those heckles more times than you care to remember. I'm sure.
2: <laughs> yep, I'm
0: blocking it. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, do you want to throw ourselves at the mercy of capitalism? Yeah, so... Um, hey, all you hedge, fu- hedge fund babies! <laughs> going, to go, going to go down that route again. Um, yeah, uh, do you think anybody involved
3: in a hedge fund actually listens to us?
0: I think it's exclusively people that run hedge funds. For <laughs> <in the>
3: <laughs> Funnily enough, I was, in, I was in Edinburgh a couple of weeks ago and I was getting a coffee and a donut and there were two student-age girls serving... Uh, one of whom was American, and she turned around to the other girl, and she's like, "I just, I don't feel like I ever use use math in real life." And then the other girl, who was English, said, "Oh, well, I never actually used it until I got an internship at a hedge fund last year, <laughs> so uh that's where they are, they're all in Edinburgh.
2: Welcome to fucking Edinburgh. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that's standard for an Edinburgh coffee, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. I mean just see that mm. living in the West End of Glasgow, which is getting pretty close.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, this is going to be an ironic cash call, given what we're about to talk about. Do you think so, Mark? I do think so, yes. Um, so... We do we we occasionally do some things on Patreon. Uh, we, you get early access to episodes, and we do bonus content and stuff. And all mm-hmm. the money we get from that helps us to stay afloat and helps us to not uh, throw ourselves at the mercy of advertisers, which we would like to keep doing for as long as we humanly possibly can. So, if you have a little spare in your pocket right now, go to Patreon dot com forward slash Unsung Pod. Starts from as little as two dollars. It will eventually be two pounds. I think it's actually at the start of November. It will move over to pounds so by the time this comes out it might actually already be pounds now I think about it but anyway yeah if, if you like cool stuff please go and give us some of your cash we've got a yeah, lot of cool tiers and all that and you know we, we do stuff we make some awesome t-shirts by the way just say uh, don't, don't make us go cap in hand to the government because of
3: tights <laughs> and that's chuff <laughs> <laughs> so um
0: yeah, on that
2: point
3: what-, <laughs> 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 but what are we talking about this week we're not talking about albums right. and music or anything this is your idea yeah. chris it, it is kind of my
2: idea uh because we do think we're not just eye candy and um are <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <your> candy <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> the okay obviously global pandemic so this is to some extent relevant to everybody in the world and clearly most people listening to this podcast have a, more than a passing interest in music and wider arts so we kind of want to talk about that a little bit uh, we want to talk about the impact it's had a little bit uh, but I think I specifically want to focus on the, the push now for the support for the arts but I'm just curious now when I hear all these cries for funding like who is it that's making the cries because of the circumstances there's not a lot of like really critical questions being asked uh, which seems on the face of it, I mean, how could you possibly disagree with wanting to keep the art strong and keep it funded and help support all the people involved in it through what I can tell you firsthand, as can David, as probably can Mark. It's, it's a very, very difficult time. You know, uh, that is my livelihood. I love it. Music, especially, is probably the biggest thing in my life. ...apart from relentless self-loathing. By the way, I should apologise in advance. We're going to conflate music and art. The, a lot of what we're going to say is applicable across the board... And we'll, try ...and we'll try and make that distinction when we can... ...but for the purposes of the conversation... ...and because of the nature of the podcast... ...we'll probably focus on music. Um, but I think there are some interesting voices... Or perspectives not maybe being heard um, and that's maybe a polite way of me saying I'm going to spend a lot of this podcast I think being a, something of a devil's advocate we'll try and make it pretty entertaining I think but there are some real points to be had here and hopefully it gives people a more, ah, that sounds a little bit condescending so I don't want to say it will give you a more balanced perspective but it will maybe help you look past that very sort of superficial narrative of hey we should just be helping everybody right now come on government dig deep To try and internationalise this a bit as well, before we get into the weeds of it, um, Mark, you'd mentioned about the the UK's cultural footprint Mm -hmm. being really, really huge. And it is. I mean, coming from Glasgow as well, we've got a ridiculously disproportionate reputation for music. It's crazy. North, like this area of Scotland in general. And the UK definitely has a far bigger influence on the world's music scene. And and especially historically, really did, um, than, than it probably should have Certainly, based on population. Mm-hmm. Funnily enough, it's not uh, the highest ratio of cultural cultural capital I know, it per, per capita. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, that's actually that actually goes to Italy. At least the one that has the highest ratio. But for whatever reason, Italy's economy is that much smaller that it doesn't quite equate. Um, so yeah, I mean we're we're huge, and in the whole of the EU, uh, we apparently have lost the most already. Um, it's apparently like ten percent the entire industry it's shrunk by which is you know maybe that that statistic doesn't necessarily convey how big an impact that actually has um but that that is massive and so there's huge calls here i don't know what it's like for our listeners elsewhere because i'm mindful when i'm doing this i've got listeners from far-flung different areas but i'm sure you're all having your equivalent struggles for us in the uk it's it's a really really big deal it's a huge part Uh, of of our economy and we've really really felt it Um, so yeah I think we need need to kind of parse that we need to pull that apart and look at it in a wee bit more depth and give it a little bit more context which all sounds very dry it isn't as dry as it sounds Um, Vicky is apart from being a huge music fan Vicky is an educator of young minds and I think that's really significant here Uh, Vicky you and I spoke about this at some length prior to the show yeah Um, is that a pleasant interaction for <laughs>
1: um, all, all I can say is uh, thank God we've been friends for as long as we have because I, I think we can get away with like, um, getting into some kind of like testy territory um, and, and getting quite passionate about things. Um, but it was an interesting topic for me to discuss because I think, like the way you and I were talking about it, we're from like completely different perspectives looking at it as well. And sometimes it's quite hard to actually have a discussion of about about it because even like your general definitions of things probably differ, and you don't really know if you're talking about what it means to you is the same thing as it means to me, and all of that kind of stuff. I've, I don't know if you if you know what I'm getting at when I when I'm saying that.
2: Yeah, there's definitely stuff that we take for granted. Uh, that we need to to clarify. But we'll dive into it. I think it's probably the the best way to do it. Mark, uh, you'd written a wee comment on art as a career. This is what we're talking about, really. Mm -hmm. COVID has hugely impacted upon the arts. Uh, It's hugely impacted upon that entire ecosphere of venues, artists, theatres, writers, journalists, all the people that are further down that food chain. And I guess the first thing I really... That really made me think about this was, and actually, I, I want to give credit where it's due. It's going back to a Steve Albini uh, interview on a, on a DVD called DIY or Die.
3: Your life is only that with, which it's with you.
2: Uh, where he described um, what it, the quote. Hubristic presumption uh, that you think you can be a, in this case, a professional musician that you think you can make a living from people just wanting to pay for your art. This is going to rub a lot of people up the wrong way. <laughs> uh, but w- what were your
0: thoughts on artist career mark? Because you seem pretty positive on it. I don't know if I'd, I don't know if I'd go that far. Um, I mean I think when we first started discussing this one of the first things I said is I think for a lot the way that I look at it cause I, I've been told I come across as quite an optimistic person but I don't think I am And <laughs> my, my my view on this is quite pessimistic I think it's like I think it's a bit of like a sheer folly to presume that you can be, a, you can make a career as an artist all four of us know how hard that is to do and how rewarding it can be if you do it right and how much grind and how much craft and yeah how much you need to put in to make that happen mm-hmm. Um Obviously, without people who've made a career out of art, we wouldn't be here talking about any of the stuff we've been doing for the past almost 150 episodes. Um, but everything in society is kind of set against people doing that. Yeah, it still happened. It still happens anyway. You know, obviously, I'm hugely biased because of what the things I studied at uni as well, but um, because of where I live and because of, because of the the fertile music scene that we happen to be part of. But Scotland, in and of itself, has got quite a huge cultural footprint for a country of its size and although it might be quite difficult to make a career out of art there's still no shortage of artists and places for artists to go and you know sell their wares for lack of a better term so I'm kind of on two sides of the fence on that one I suppose Uh, there's also this huge part of me that's like well my mum used to always say to me that being in a band was a pipe dream and I still even though I'm fucking thirty five, right, I'm still wanting to prove her wrong even though I'm never gonna do that. So I hear that attitude as well. I think that attitude's totally bullshit too. <laughs> like I think you can do yeah, but, it. But you know but Yeah, but
2: let's let, give your mum some credit there that she's got a point. <laughs> yeah. Now, I know she's she does got a point. have a point. <laughs> now, but let's let's talk a wee bit about why your mum has a point there, okay? I mean, so I'd, I'd kind of looked into the economics of it, right? And I think it's kind of useful to go through this first. right? there was a there was a famous sort of like hubbub maybe about ten years ago when this uh, study by a guy called Simon Price was reported in what was it? It was the Daily Mail did a big thing on it and a few other publications. Oh, it was a magazine called it was called The Word or Word, which is gone now. Actually, they they, they misreported this, but. Long and short of it is Simon Price had been he's from a working background he'd been uh, working class background he was curious about this trend in pop music that seemed to be there seemed to be an awful lot of privately educated musicians uh, that were succeeding at it he went through historic top twenties I think he went back to the nineties the nineteen nineties specifically originally and he found that I think from a study that about one percent of the top twenty at, at a given point. Was privately educated. It was. I think it was one member of one group in in the top twenty. Now, uh, when compared with 2010, what his figures actually showed was that the top, like the top twenty, was about at that stage about 25 to 30 percent privately educated. The misreporting uh, appeared. I don't know where the figure came from, but it was misreported as 60 percent. And it's actually something that stuck with me for a, too long. Um, but, long story short, though, that's a massive increase. Um, we're talking about the UK here. About 7% of people in the UK are privately educated. But then you've got upwards of 25% of the, the charts dominated by that. Now, it, it gets even worse when you go into things like the Brit Awards. There were some really interesting studies about those. I think it was 19% of Brit winners since 1977 have been privately educated Considering though that since 1977, so this is something that's really accelerated in this century. And in classical Brit Awards, and this probably isn't a big surprise, but we should ask ourselves about this 76% of people that have won classical Brit Awards are privately educated. And actually, as it happens, 60% 60% of British Oscar winners are, are are privately educated, 42% of British BAFTA winners are privately educated. The, the arts is not a level playing field, the arts hasn't been a level playing field for forever, really. Your mum saying to you, it's a pipe dream, your mum has a point, because in your lifetime and from your background and my background and our background, I think, uh, generally, um, it's not a viable option. It really isn't. It does happen. There are exceptions. But statistically, it's not. It it actually was, to some extent, a much more viable option in the 90s, as is evidenced, you know, and and then going back. Music used to be a much more working-class thing. And I think what this is going to bring us onto is the, the notion of high art and low art and how funding is distributed. And also, why the panic now? Why the sudden... I mean, clearly, I know why the panic now. Again, I'm being rhetorical but this is a crisis that's been affecting working class musicians and lower class musicians and creators and artists and dancers and anybody aspiring to succeed in this in this realm for for decades and decades and decades. It's not a new thing for us and so there's a little bit of um. I don't want to cut off my nose to spite my face I am really perturbed by the current situation but there's also a little bit of schadenfreude mm-hmm. because you sort of sense that the people that worked the system, the people that the system was very much stacked in their favour for a long, long time, are now starting to feel the, a lot of the, the fiscal realities that faced everybody else. And I think that's a really fascinating consequence of this environment. I think it is it is on one hand, again, like straddling the issue. It's, on one hand, it's sad, it's troubling, it's problematic. But on another hand, it is interesting and it does... You do wonder, maybe it's overly optimistic, does this present an opportunity to, to bring this issue to the fore, that there is a dramatic lack of support, not not for the arts generally, but certainly for the lower tiers of society trying to access the arts.
3: So this is something I think that has to do with... like, It comes down to a purely economic structure of supply and demand, and this is how... Music has changed over the last fifty years because I think there were some working class bands that made it in the seventies, and there were some, uh, you know, privately educated bands that made it in the seventies. Yeah, like overall <laughs> yeah.
2: Overall, you know, it was you know, Genesis uh, went to a school that was twenty grand a year. Well, you made, uh, uh, was it called
3: Charterhouse Chapterhouse whatever it's called That's That's why overall I called a it was <laughs> <laughs> overall it was more difficult to make music then it was more difficult to buy instruments it was more difficult to get together and practice it was more difficult to tour and eventually get signed and what there was was a viable living for those that jumped through all those hoops. So there were less people making music of a standard, but of those people, you know, a larger percentage were able to make a living. What's happened since and particularly uh, in the advent of the internet and home recording is that the uh, number of people making good music has exploded exponentially the demand for music has remained about the same but the supply has increased hugely so therefore the value has gone down yes there are more ways to listen to music and basically if you if you work for a record label now what you're trying to do is ike more demand you know your job is trying to get syncs and try to get um Mm -hmm you know, songs on films and stuff like that because there are only the same amount of people pretty much that are buying records nowadays than there were 50 years ago, but there are a thousand times more home producers and bands and, and people like that. So I think what what's happened is music, musicians and artists have seen, you know, decades of music being viable if you make it, but now it's harder to make it to that level because there's a thousand more, a thousand times more people doing the same quality of stuff Hmm. so um yeah uh,
2: there was definitely a historic i mean even back in sort of early was it 2003 2004 i think was the first really noticeable precipice of 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 income from music, you know, when the it mm-hmm. the, the sort of exponentially started to decline uh, as the internet and broadband speeds uh, or internet speeds increased and streaming and things like that started to take hold and you notice that the the, the erosion of the middle class in music, now we're, we're going to talk a little bit about the working class in a musical sense the working class of music, the middle class of music was this, I mean so many of your favourite bands would have been middle class of music, you know, bands that were not rich they were not Going to the Seychelles, they were not shooting videos that cost a million dollars, they were not appearing even on, like, certainly TV shows, you know. They would, but, or, or maybe they were, maybe they were once or twice. Mm-hmm. You're Guided by Voices, you Girls Against Boys from the 90s, those kind of level of acts. They weren't the Nirvanas, they weren't the headline bands, but they were there and they were making a sustainable living for a long time and they could be musicians and they could work at it. And that is the, that seems to be the area. That has been eroded, and it's become much more drastically. You either break through and make it on a certain level, or you, or you don't. That middle class in music has been eroded, and I think even just culturally, we don't have time to go into it. But the middle class is what's under threat mm-hmm. culturally as income disparity increases. You know, you got the upper class profits to greater extents, mm-hmm. and the gulf becomes bigger, and that's what we've seen happening in music as well as 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 a mirror um, on society in that way.
0: Yeah, because a lot, a lot of your bands who would be in that middle class are the bands that have to put the graft in to actually make the ends meet and that's uh, literally impossible right now. Mm-hmm. I think what I'm trying to do is like paint a little bit of a picture for people who
2: see music in a more passive way, who aren't as involved in it, um, who don't maybe appreciate the, the class dynamic of it. I'm really sorry that that sounds condescending and I don't mean it to be. I'm just saying this is something I work with and it's something I'm confronted with all the time and I really see this starkly portrayed in a lot of situations and you know, what a lot of workplaces then don't have in common is the next bit of the conversation which is subsidy and finance for these higher end things. What is it that's helping to create that disparity? What is it that's fostering that disparity? Why for example in classical music is there such an outrageous disparity? I mean 76% you know that's higher than the percentage of judges that are from privately educated backgrounds that, that, that is just that's wild to me Um, Vicky, you know Sandy Shaw, don't you?
1: The folk singer? Oh. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. So always something there to remind me, Sandy Shaw. She actually uh, testified to a a culture select committee in 2013 about this trend. Uh, I'm not sure why Sandy Shaw is such an activist in it. Maybe she does come from a kind of lower class, a working class background. Uh, But she testified uh, about how hard it was becoming to succeed that income was becoming such a barrier and uh, she also actually made an interesting point uh, that a lot of the people without a safety net are more inclined even if they do get a deal to accept inferior deals. It, It was her experience in her research that desperation you know, taking the first train out of town. You know, they were taking an offer. They were they weren't able, for example, all to access as uh, competent legal advice, or they weren't able to ex- access any legal advice. They were reading their own contracts, negotiating their own contracts, just working on much tighter margins. And so she was saying, this income disparity is not just affecting the amount of people that get their opportunity to break through, but it's affecting the quality of the opportunity that they get when it does come, if it comes.
1: Don't you think like that's a problem with like capitalism in general? Because, like, when you went when you mentioned that stuff about Steve Albini at the beginning, what was it? He said that it was hubristic folly or something like that. To me, there's a
2: Uh, hubristic presumption,
1: right? Okay, I think there's like to me, whenever maybe I've picked you up wrong, Chris, right? And apologies if this is um this misrepresents you but when we've been talking before i i had more of the impression that you had a certain level of disdain you thought it was a kind of um freeloading kind of like i said before we come on here like welfare for the cultural elite that were taking the kind of the funding and to me um these kind of problems where it's like issues of like people at the bottom not getting rights not accessing good opportunities are just like problems for every workplace and i I don't know are you trying to say there's like inherently having a career as an artist is not something people should do from a kind of moral point of view like i I don't do you know what i mean
2: yeah i mean you're not you're not wrong Mm -hmm. on my opinion more widely well you're paraphrasing it, but yeah. Um, I think I used the analogy with you guys before this, right? Um, if in any country, but especially in the UK in our situation, a giant bag of cash landed on the table tomorrow, it was handed over by the government just just by a tag in it saying arts and music, where does that money go? Um, and this is, this is the thing that's really been sticking in my craw because I don't see that money handed out in some sort of uh, egalitarian manner where people that need it across the board get access to it. What I think is a much likelier scenario is the people that are used to funding, who need funding to sustain their way of life, are going to expect that they're entitled to that. Um, we'll, we'll talk about why that is. And the people who were creating without ever having had funding are going to be told, well, you guys... I've never really needed this, have you? You know, you you can totally just keep doing what you're doing. The indie bands, the grime artists, the hip hop people, the ele- bedroom electronica producers, like you get you you guys are okay. You you don't need to You don't need to dip into this because the problem is there's so many of them. That's part of the issue is that the you know if every indie band took a hundred bucks, that would start that pile would start to shrink fast. And I think that is what I'm concerned about. We are not talking about an equal. Uh, I'm not trying to get too socialist about it but I just want us to have an honest conversation here we're not talking about an equal distribution of wealth to help encourage arts and music we're talking about propping up a system that is completely uneven and that's why I brought in all the statistics about you know, the charts and, and the culture section uh, sectors earlier on this is an imbalanced system and this is what we're talking about propping up we're talking about perpetuating an, an, an imbalance we're not talking about redressing a balance Discuss. so
3: so, i mean i think i can i can talk from experience here because i worked for creative scotland for four years and i was involved in you know the grassroots part of funding and finding musicians and artists and there there was a weird uh, sort of philosophical conundrum at the heart of creative scotland so for those outside of scotland creative scotland is like the arts council and it's a sort of uh, arm's length organization that funds all art and artists apart from you know like the the big uh, like the the orchestras and the the operas and stuff like that um 60% of its funding comes from scottish government and 40% of its gov- of its funding comes from the national lottery a uh, now i mean that's a whole other area that we can go down the national lottery is funded by um mostly working class folk looking to you know get out of poverty yeah mm-hmm. uh, do they realize that you know a bunch of that is going to then fund a, a ballet class in newton Mearns? <laughs> um but yeah creative scotland was a very interesting organization to be part of Dave,
2: sorry, just bef- sorry to break your flow there, man. But something you seized on that I want to highlight as you go on. Mm-hmm. You said the orchestra was sixty percent funded by Creative Scotland or government grants. Is
3: that right? No, Creative Scotland was funded sixty percent by the government and forty percent by uh, National Lottery. Right, right. Okay. So okay, sorry. Uh, sorry, I meant to be clear. There were some larger cultural organisations like uh, Scottish National Orchestra, etc., that were funded directly by the government and bypass creative scotland
2: so I'm, I'm really curious about that and before you take the floor again they weren't funded by door sales they weren't funded by merch sales they weren't funded by cd sales or
3: well they were but i mean that's that's something that's like the high art versus low art thing there are just a certain number of basically you know sacred cows that are set up as high culture that can kind of they do make money but they don't cover themselves you know all opera houses and all operas around the world are subsidised because not enough people go to the opera and the opera isn't open to working class folk to be able to afford it either
0: which is amazing can I just add something here just to be a bit flippant Um, do you know what happens in Europe when it comes to you know evolution it just just gets fucking killed right (laughs) that's (laughs) it yeah absolutely yeah it just dies, like, if, if it can't... It... Cultural Darwinism, but, that. But, is
1: not, um, yeah. Sorry, my understanding as well is that some of these, like, business... These, like, opera houses or theatres or whatever, they are subsidised because, like, they, although they're be not, like, covering the asses in, like, ticket sales or whatever... They're bringing in a wider economy, the like Mm -hmm. local area and other other ways as well. And that when things like that get shut down, it is devastating to the to the local economy and the people, the businesses round about those um, establishments. Do you know what I mean? So that's why they do subsidise them as well.
2: Yeah, I get that, but I think that's a wee bit cheap because we don't subsidise football teams or go kart racing or the audience for a bowling alley. I would imagine is probably up there with the audience for an opera based on cultural appeal Aye. Um, we don't subsidize bowling alleys because they contribute to the local economy i think i get that point mm-hmm. but i think it's the sort of thing you write into an application for funding rather than it having much real in terms of real world impact
3: i mean there yeah, might- but, like to me it's fine that a civilized society should aim to fund the arts because art is something that separates humanity as a species mm-hmm. it's like we're able to appreciate beauty and garner me- like meaning from our surroundings you know so being able to do so is both an effect and a cause of civilization reaching a point of success that we're not having to just make sure that we don't all starve and kill ourselves right we have reached yes. a point of appreciating beauty and that is what separates art from bowling. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, well as, lo- as long
2: as as long as we acknowledge that that involves inherent cultural privilege, right? Because to suggest that art has to be sustained by funding I think is a little bit absurd given that that's got to be the exception to the rule on a global scale. Okay, we do, you're right, we do live in a culture where it's nice that we can do that and it's nice that we can encourage diversity in that way. Yeah. But I mean, let's be honest that the world is absolutely full of cultures where there is no there is nothing in place or certainly not to the same extent or anything like the same extent to deliberately fund the arts art is something that is created by people. I mean, I think that's the point Albini was making in his own way. Art is created by artists who want to create art. Art is something that people want to consume and it's something that will be created whether it's funded or not. What we are talking about is disproportionately loading the dice so that certain arts can function smoothly despite the fact there's no demand or next to no demand in a kind of market scale. If you compare them to like indie or low art, you know?
1: mm-hmm. But what you're talking about there you're saying art is created but I don't think that just the creation of something is the remit of like organisations like Creative Scotland and that was something that a point I was trying to make when I was discussing this with you before is that where, where I see arts funding in my profession is in like outreach and engagement and things like that it's not just about um, the creation of a product or a show or whatever you know it is about fulfilling a role in lots of different aspects of communities so I think it's it's difficult to paint the arts with such a broad stroke like that because there's so much work that gets done through, with funding that isn't necessarily creating
2: a product do you know what i mean well can i can i interject there because that is interesting and i took that on board from when we'd spoken previously so if you go back again in 1990 when price did that initial um study of the charts okay there was uh local authorities in the uk that that year um if you round it i think you round it down it was a what would you call it? Uh, music provision, I think, is the is the official name for what they were providing to the communities. Music provision, you know, trying to help people have access to music if that was something they wanted to do that they otherwise wouldn't have access to. By the way, I got that figure from the Daily Mail as well. This is the second time <laughs> I've cited the Daily Mail. I don't spend a lot of time reading the Daily Mail. <laughs> 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 or maybe I do. Like, I mean, it's my birthday soon. You do, you, you, start, you have to start calling all artists lovers <laughs> if, yeah, <laughs> if you're citing the Daily Mail. Moving to the right as I get older. Um, But the thing is, as of 2010, when he did the second part of that study um, and not even adjusting for inflation, it was half of that that was getting spent. So 20 years later half of the output. So we're talking about all this money that we're spending on arts funding to outreach and help the community. Well that has been dropping to the extent that it's now at fifty percent, even if you don't take into account the fact that the pound itself is worthless. And then if you look at some of those authorities, some of those local authorities had a budget of one pound and fifteen pence annually for music outreach to community to children and that is insane and some of those by the way since 2010 have probably dropped to zero if you take in austerity cuts this is the uk again don't want to lose too many people here but a bit like the thing about opera houses helping their local community it's a lot of hot air in my book I'm sorry but I think it's a lot of hot air all this noise about art being
3: like us piling money into funding
2: yeah. communities
3: and help what, you're, about, you're saying that because they've cut money from these things and therefore they're not happening that they're bad what? I don't, I don't understand your point no because back to high art and
0: low art right that's kind of the issue here it's like why be funding no, more X why? What, what I'm saying is
2: that this, this incredible amount of funding for the arts has never been there. And this ties back back in to my, my initial point. Why this sudden panic? That we, we have this COVID panic where we're told, oh my God, the kids aren't getting access to music now. They were getting pound fifteen a fucking year. That's not even a replacement E-string, all right? We're getting this sudden panic about, oh, we've got no funding for bands. We've got no funding for young musicians. This is Yeah, the but thing. I think this what is, we've seen no, is... Hang on two seconds, this is the DIY angle, right? I've never had that fucking access to funding. Or, actually, that's not strictly true, because there are a couple of times I've had access. And I'm kind of the exception to that rule. I've applied to Creative Scotland and been supported to, to some extent, okay? But that is also far from the majority of cases, okay? But DIY music, indie music, grime, young artists in you know, housing schemes, this kind of, that's just never been there. So what I'm trying to say is, who is it we're hearing this huge call globally in all these different countries, not just the UK? Who is it that's making the call? And the people that are making the call and what I'm putting forward here and my slightly devil's advocate, but maybe not as much devil's advocate as I I think it is, is that it's the people at the top that are panicking. It's the people who are used, to, accustomed to a way of life. It's the people that are accustomed to having their opera, their folk music subsidised, their jazz music subsidised, their organisation subsidised, their intermediary agent uh, subsidised. Their record label is struggling because they spent years taking lines and living off the fat of the land. And now, after a some something of a decline, they're experiencing a precipitous decline. These are the people... That I'm really hearing calling out. I'm not hearing indie musicians calling out for funding because they've never expected to get it. They could have, they could have called out till they were blue in the face. They would never have got it. Kids would never have got it they were getting £1.15 a year of that. What I'm saying is, the reason we are hearing so much These campaigns are going around on the internet. Who is it that's fucking behind these? And the reason they're so high profile is because the people at the top are making them high profile. Grassroots campaigns have never got fucking anywhere. The DIY scene has always been ignored. The reason we are seeing these hashtags, the reason we're seeing these adverts, the reason we're hearing about it in Parliament is because people with fucking money and something to lose are worried. And that's my point. This is not... Uh, this is not an altruistic thing that we're watching and whilst it's a problem for me and for you David and for people that we like, that have a lot of time for I'm also very aware of a little bit of me that does want to just fucking watch it all burn because for decades now they have not given a fuck about the people at the bottom and about adversity But I think about- that's
3: what the issue is, is that the funding has been cut and grassroots things are and DIY things aren't getting the funding that they should and then They've never what's happened had that. no there has been and like oh, there man. are there are they organizations look. out there that are always trying to do things like that but they don't have enough funding and then it's like you speak to people that are working for local theater groups or working in little venues and they're always just trying to great buy and do what they can and you know buy a new bass amp for the band practice and stuff like that but that funding is gradually getting cut and councils are getting less money and these grassroots things are getting less money and then what's happened with Covid is the entire industry is completely fucked and it's put the tin lid on 20 years of cuts and 10 years of austerity yeah Mm -hmm. there's some middle class folk out there going oh I'm not going to be able to do my pottery thing buy my (laughs)
1: espadrilles (laughs)
3: Yeah, but there are also real grassroots proper DIY musicians and community organisers and groups out there that have seen decades of cuts and then this happens. Right, which I, just completely fucks it. I, I take top. that
2: on board, but I don't think that bears out in reality. I, I, that that venue you're talking about, in that analogy about the base amp, that venue was never getting that base
3: amp bought for them.
2: And let's go to a subject. No, I, they no, but, are, but,
3: because I, I've seen there are. But just because a just because they haven't doesn't mean they shouldn't. But b also they never have. No, they have. I have been to places where the, a a venue in a little village in the Highlands, and they get. 300 quid of funding that then buys a crappy little uh, drum kit and a bass amp and a guitar and that means that local bands can go in and use it as a practice space and, mean, and meanwhile the National Orchestra is funded entirely that
2: is exactly my point that that, that little 300 pounds of crappy drum kits and a crappy bass amp is the pound fifteen a kid outreach yeah, but tokenism, what, what I'm saying is tokenism. The,
3: but what I'm saying is there should be more of that but even that mm-hmm. 300 quid yeah. is getting taken away and that venue might not exist because of Covid so like what, y- what you've got is like a whole class of people like a generation or a, a class of people that have got used to living on scraps but now those scraps aren't even there
2: I I take that on board I think that's that's got some truth but let's be clear that venue first and foremost never felt entitled to get that bass amp okay this hypothetical venue never felt entitled in anything like the same way as the the Royal the National Orchestra of Scotland knew that annually its funding would be renewed that is completely completely different Universe of funding you're talking about one specific art like abstract example of a small place you're probably right getting like one budget drum kit and one budget thing and then a, a local MP probably using that waving that about to try and get re-elected versus high art getting funded to the tune of like six, seven figures on a rolling basis year after year after year without even having to fucking justify it. And what I'm saying is that venue is not the one leading the charge of where is
3: our funding? This is all drying up. No, I Those venues have learned to survive on next to nothing. Uh, uh, Yeah, but so what's your point? They should now learn to live on nothing rather than next to nothing.
2: They've been left... to to, to capitalism, the the orchestra as Mark was saying about cultural Darwinism the orchestras have never been left to capitalism, the jazz bars have not been left to capitalism in the same way the folk scene has not been left to capitalism in the same way, the interpretive dance scene somebody fucking performing like some one person show to like the machine gun scene from Scarface in front of like eight people at the fucking uh, tramway, that is not even comparable with the 18, 20 indie bands that come out of one little town, never get anything, never get anywhere, but they make that music regardless of knowing they're never going to get any rewards. What I'm saying is, there's a whole world of people who are used to making art with no financial reward. They're used to making art because they want to make art, and they make it as long as they can. They quite often operate operate at a loss, and I think the, the analogy I would use is these people, people who, like myself in the DIY scene, um, Artists who've ploughed very, very unrewarding furrows. We're the cockroaches of this arts apocalypse. We're the people that have that have lived on nothing, less than nothing, sometimes pay, paying to make our product. Watching grants go over our heads, watching things get shut down, no security, no living wages. Um, and we're the only people that are equipped to outlast that. You know, if the, if the money isn't there, we'll still be making it, just like in countries where the funding bodies aren't there they're still making music they're still making art they're still making theater as they can i don't want it to be like that that's what i'm saying that's why i'm saying it's a slightly devil's advocate kind of point of view but it is fascinating to watch the absolute hysteria of people that are so used to having things their own way of of groups and organizations and structures that are so used to constant funding and bankrolling suddenly being brought down to earth with a thump and said this is how we make art we make art at a loss sometimes we make it with a vain hope of one day succeeding We make it because we need to make it. We make it as long as we can before having a kid or becoming an alcoholic or fucking dying of fucking cancer stops us. And that is the reality for the majority of musicians, I would say, in this country. Not not the minority, and yet it's inverted when it comes to the funding. And I think this situation should shine a light in that. And it's not doing that because it's been portrayed as... A sort of altruistic call for support for arts. That call has never been there. It's never been there before. It's entirely
0: disingenuous in my book. That's my point. So uh, go to patreon.com for a slash unsome <laughs> <laughs> It's capitalism. That is capitalism. This is the thing. That is
2: the, this, this is the, the, the dark inverse of capitalism is that people that profited from it for so long, the record labels are now experiencing both the downturn at the start like the two thousands and now they're experiencing this and they're fucking freaking out. I mean Dave, you know as well as I do as well. Like the, the this the system this is this is maybe a little eye opener for listeners. If you want to release a record yourself now to get it reviewed, it, you have to join a subscription site to try and get it into the hands of journalists probably about 50% of the time now. Mm-hmm. To then get it res- a response from those journalists, it costs you money. They, they do it in this token system, which is really common now over here. right? You then get sent a thing saying, if you want us to write a review, that'll be 15 quid. If you want us to do an interview, that'll be 30 quid, 40 quid. You are paying a journalist, to do their job. You are paying for the luxury of having your music covered by gatekeepers. The gatekeepers are in there, but the gatekeepers also want funded. They also want subsidised. By the way, a really interesting stat that didn't come up earlier on. More than 50% of UK working journalists are privately educated. This is this is a system that is built to sustain itself. It's not a system that's out there for yeah, the good of well
3: the system of music journalism though because people used to buy music magazines and now they don't so they're working with less money and they're working within a capitalist system so their companies are getting bought over and people are getting made redundant and there you know there's less staff so the problem is that uh, the problem is capitalism, Chris, at every level.
1: Yeah, you know what? That's the thing. <laughs> that right. was a big right. Scooby-Doo reveal moment there.
3: <laughs> my fucking, my politics degree hasn't been wasted. And they would have gotten away from it too if it
2: wasn't for us pesky kids. Yeah. Um, no, but honestly, I get what you're saying about the magazines, okay, but the thing is the magazines always set themselves up as intermediaries anyway, as gatekeepers. Uh, but at least at a point, they were doing a job. They were rewarded based on the quality of the journalism. It is now literally paid for content. It always was going that way. Uh, you know, Advertisers always got priority over non-advertisers as an independent band. You couldn't be guaranteed a fair shake. But now, even as an independent, you are being told if you even want covered, you have to pay us. And they justify it by saying, oh, we need to stay in a job. Well, why the fuck do you need to stay in a job if your job is simply Publishing and reviewing the things that you're paid to review. What is what is your job anymore? What is your role? This entire system is totally farcical, and I think none more so than the notion of high art, low art, and the way they're funded, and the sense of entitlement that this situation has revealed. Like this, the, the way that people feel entitled. To, to, to get funded to be professional musicians when the vast majority of musicians have been absolutely labouring to just for the privilege of making the thing that was inside them a reality for, for decades and uh, yeah you're right I mean I'm I'm not I don't have any solutions I just think it's it's fucking amazing as well as really sad it's both sad and grimly glorious to watch the people that created the system that disenfranchised so many suddenly freak out
1: so uh, I've got a question. So, do you are you saying that you would you agree with the rationale behind arts funding, but you just think it's not being distrib- distributed um, fairly, or do you just not agree with arts funding?
3: I, I fundamentally. This is where you decide if you're a communist or a libertarian. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I know nail your colours to the flag or whatever the fashion is
2: <laughs> a fun, like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a narco-fascist um, <laughs> I've got Alex
0: Jones on one phone and I've got fucking Zizek in the other, come on man, tell us, tell us where we're going <laughs> um, who's got the more annoying voice um, so uh, I, I
2: fundamentally think that art funding can play a role and I think art funding, Vicky should be going in the direction of you guys I think art funding should be going hugely in the direction of enabling people access to it to see if it's something they want to do to give in their initial openings. The, this, this idea of arts funding, the, the bespoke nature of it, which me and David have talked about, it, and actually me and Dave, uh, despite him working at Great Scotland and on a lot of the same pages about this. Um, in France, you've got this uh, I- initiative called in, inter, Intermittent, Vicky? Intermittent, the spectacle. The spectacle spectac- spectac- is like show. Stum- Oh, I've yeah. your friendship St Chris Yeah I know It's fucking terrible <laughs> But I mean the way, that, the way that that works Was to get artists That were performing A certain amount of hours A certain amount of shows a year A guaranteed minimum income Which to me Seems a much fairer way Of incentivising people who really want to pursue something and enable them to do it rather than paying chunks of money to people who have, who have the right connections and know the right people and can and have the education to submit application forms, that's another thing the application process is by its very nature by its bureaucratic nature quite prohibitive and this is yeah, not absolutely. something I totally this, agree with that yeah, I,
3: th- I mean much of this just has to do with voting the right people in um, you know it's political and downwards I guess you've got to have the conversations so that politicians know what to talk about. And, you know, 10 years of Tory rule, it's not going to lead to a progressive arts funding programme.
2: Yeah, but you know what? I would push back against that a bit. It's not just the Tories, man. It's people. It's human nature. If people had been paying for their music, for example, if people had applied this notion of intrinsic value to music and art all the time... They would have been compensating the people that were creating it for their pleasure, and they've not. You know, the fact is, there is a lot of art out there that we can still enjoy. It exists in hard copy form. If you'd been buying it in hard copy form, or in any real form, directly from the artist, then they wouldn't be in such a precarious position. Uh, But you haven't. And that's not the total. People are
3: still going to gigs, though, and COVID has stopped that. Not nearly.
2: Not nearly as much as he used to and and let's let's be honest like the gig system has become so dependent on pr the small venues that used to be rammed 13th notes and that they're not rammed anymore people aren't going out to discover artists they're waiting for it to be put in front of them and to get in front of them you have to pay the gatekeepers it's there's there's no way to escape that it's 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 a complete catch 22 situation the way it's evolved and now it's collapsing i mean i just well i
3: mean that's cuz it's been commodified by the system
2: yeah, so. but you know, this this glib thing of blaming Tories. I fucking hate the Tories as much as the next guy. Right? But you can't uh, blame I mean tories. I'm not
3: blaming Tories for that, I'm blaming the system. I mean overall.
2: The, the the toys went out the pram because of that retrain campaign. I don't think that's a problem. I think our lack of awareness and understanding and examination of our own ac- actions and the devaluing of art in general is a much, much bigger problem. And we're all responsible for that. Not the Tories.
3: Yeah, agree. Well, uh, v- how, how how do we how do we sum this up? Vicky, <laughs> how do we fix it? Come on, that's why we brought you here to fix
2: Oh
1: no, don't ask me. I don't know. Um I don't know because I, I believe in arts funding like I have uh I think it's a positive thing. I think it does it can do it's gonna potentially do really good things. I think that there's still room as well for things that aren't necessarily don't necessarily have a social kind of; um, they're not there if, to uh, as an outreach or whatever. You know, I think there is room for just art for art's sake as well. I, you know, I'm one of those um, people, <laughs> but I think that
2: <laughs> you don't want the government funding your punk music. You mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know,
1: <fucking> <laughs> um, but for me, I believe in funding artists. I believe that if uh, an artist had projected at the start of the crisis that they were going to make x amount of money and then the crisis happened and they have been disadvantaged economically because of that then i think like any other worker the government should look after them that, that's kind of my point of view on that i don't think they're entitled to it just because they're an artist i just think it's a job like any other job and i don't think jobs are inherently good or bad or anything do you know what i mean like i just think it's a it's a necessary thing that has to happen just now because there's an unpredictable situation that is affecting everybody's livelihoods. Um, but going forward, I definitely think there's room for reform in arts funding. I just even know from like you, yourself, Christopher, and other people that have applied for funding, even the application processes for these things are exclusive and Difficult for people to access, and I think that I do think it's disproportionately like once you've got your foot in the door and you've got a kind of network and you people can help you out, then you'll succeed in that and it'll be sustainable for you. But um, for other people, it won't be.
3: That's it. Yeah, I don't want my musicians to be good at filling out forms and doing budgets, yeah, musicians to be good at music.
2: But that's what it is though that's what we're Mm -hmm. saying about the private education drift it is that they've got better lawyers better agents and a bigger safety net from their parents to enable them to persevere with it and the the whole landscape is changing and I just think it's interesting that those people are now having to sweat probably for the first time Mm like really for the first time in a a real way Um, Mm -hmm. I'm just i sorry it takes so much damage and loss to make people see the reality that other folks face all the time and I just wish that we could emerge from this with the people who do get the funding acknowledging how fucking hard it is for all the punk musicians and noise musicians and grime artists and hip hop artists and producers that are out there doing it simply because they love it and they would do it whether they got paid or not and to be a wee bit more fucking humble and if they want to campaign for fair remuneration narration campaign across the board just don't fucking campaign because it suits you and because you know you don't want to work in fucking Tesco because some people yeah. work in Tesco and make art fucking deal with it
3: well that's that's a good final line <laughs> <laughs> some people work in Tesco and make art deal with it Uh I've, I've enjoyed that thanks yeah. very much I right? think we've
2: come to some conclusions hopefully we didn't hemorrhage too many listeners there mm. yes, okay. <laughs> hot takes abound, bound anyway uh, you know you can rely on us for that uh, we'll be back next week with the advertised episode on Wire's Pink Flag album which is a belter and requires a lot of homework yeah, guys as I'm sure you noticed
0: <laughs> yes, yes I definitely have <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, a really big
2: thanks to Vicky for joining Aww, us we'll thank you, soon. thanks
1: for inviting me uh, back And I'm, sh-
2: and I'm sure you'll, you'll give us loads of shit online In the meantime, Yay. and also it was your choice For the Nexus for next week, was it? Uh, Francisco Goya
1: Was that my yeah, choice? Yeah, that'll be a cool. good cool. but,
2: mm-hmm. well, That's what the papers Hi,
1: uh, Some boy <laughs> the,
2: the Daily Mail um, Alright Everybody travel safe. Um, Be good. I'm I'm away busking. (laughs) 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 I can't believe we got through that, and that's the first time the word busker got mentioned. Fucking hell! God damn. All right. Good night. Good night.
3: Good night, everybody.